And so one of the things I challenge my teams, especially my design teams and my innovation teams when it comes to things like generative AI and, and new technologies is, how might we design to their limitations, not their capabilities? So that means you need to really understand what it's capable of. Right. And what it's not. Right. It is getting increasingly hard to convince people that these things are not sentient um, because of how well they've taken off with our language. Like once the decoder ring, right? Transformer plus CPUs plus the ability to translate languages, any language code, as well as Japanese, into a predictor sequence, power, right? Like, boom, now we're in a whole new world. But like, sentient has always been defined by feeling, not by intellect. So I'm always confused when people run around talking about computers are sentient, when I'm like, do they love? <laughs> Just because they say they do Right? Like, I mean, that's what sentient means. It's not about how smart it is. Right. It's ideas first. It's how, yeah. Right. How it feels. Yeah. Think about the printing press, right? Right. Think how much labor it took to produce a communication, not even a book, before the printing press. How much money you had to have, the intellect, you had to have the literacy, all of that, right? Boom. The printing press comes. What happens after that? Like hardcore revolution, right? Like, right. you know, like Luther is like writing stuff. Like people are like, you know, they're writing the ideas, right? Like they're they're taking things that they couldn't communicate beforehand and mass producing them in ways that would have never like Stokey. I, I want I remember one of the first books I ever read was Stokey Carmichael, right? Like. Who would have gave him, you know, a scaled microphone? Because he was talking some revolutionary stuff. Like, no self-driving car that's actually a self-driving car needs a steering wheel. But we were like, well, you take that steering wheel out of there? Because we need the steering wheel. Mm -hmm. We need to be able to say, I can grab this and control this environment. Right? Like, that's our cognitive, deep human need. So... I always found it funny, like in sci-fi, you know, like in starships and stuff, and they have like the command, whatever, you don't need all that, right? You just talk to it. But we need stuff to touch. <laughs> and I was I was loving this LinkedIn article that was going around that said that finally cars are putting back buttons, right? <laughs> because, <laughs> because they have to experiment with like voices and all that. I'm like, people like buttons, yo. <laughs> because we touch things. Yeah. Right? We need to the semblance at least of control otherwise our brain goes wacky are we in control no could i go to sleep not go to sleep what should i be doing should i be looking i don't know welcome back to invisible machines really really excited today to bring you another amazing guest episode we have uh, another one of the leading minds at this intersection of experience design and all the technology surrounding artificial intelligence Today we're chatting with Oveta Sampson. Oveta is the director of user experience uh, with CoreML at Google. She led design efforts around machine learning at Capital One. She's been a designer at Microsoft and IDEO. She's also a writer, a journalist. Uh, Oveta is incredible and we had an amazing chat with her. Uh, and just on a personal level, I 
look to Aveta's LinkedIn page all the time, kind of for, for guidance and information. Uh, she's always got her finger on the pulse of the ethical debates that are raging as all this technology explodes around us, uh, looking at things like bias and how to strip it out of data and just how to make sure that we're providing equal opportunities for everyone. Real power behind conversational AI is that it can give everyone access to technology that can, can change their lives and level the playing field. Uh, so we spent some time talking about that. We also just nerd out on design and technology quite a bit. Uh, this is a really exciting conversation and we're gonna get to it now. All right, Aveta, it is great, great to have you on the show. I'm really excited that you were able to join us. Um, and we wanted to kind of start the discussion with something that Rob and I have been talking about recently. Uh, I, I read in the Wall Street Journal that there was a survey done by Enterprise Technology Research, and they, they talked to about 500 kind of IT decision makers, and only 12% said they had a plan uh, to use OpenAI. And, and this news kind of mm -hmm. coincided with, with what happened at Samsung recently, where you know employees were using ChatGPT uh, to assist them in their daily work, and data got leaked. Um, and you know, I had the thought that um, there's that's probably happening in lots of companies. Like if, if there's not a plan in place for GPT, uh, employees are using it regardless. So it's almost like whether or not you have a plan, it's being used in your company. So I, I thought maybe we could start talking about that. Like, uh, how do you feel about that? That that so many enterprises don't seem to have a plan for something so urgent. Well, yeah, you know, it's kind of not surprising, right? Um, if you think back, we were just talking about kind of like old problems with now up against new technology. And the and what you're talking about is a people problem, right? It's an organizational problem, right? It, um, we didn't foresee the data revolution, right? So then you you had enterprise companies collecting as much data as they could, but it was like 90% useless, right? And then you saw digital transformation, didn't foresee that, didn't really have a plan for that. And then companies started, you know, saying, yes, we can do your H1, H2, you know, planning, whatever. Um, and 75% and or three out of four digital transformation plans were failing, right? And the reason, and this is the key thing that I think people really need to glom onto in this generative AI Skynet moment that we'll have today. And I always say Skynet, not yet. <laughs> I'm amending that. That's a t-shirt right bit. there. Not yet. I don't want to scare people, but like. It's very important that people understand that the rise of technology evolution is in the opposite or disproportionate um, rate of technology adoption, organization, and policy and governance. So you will have early adopters who are out there trying, you know, let's, let's mix mix Mentos with Coke and see what happens, yeah. right? <laughs> and, then, and then some lawyer catches on and then it's like, oh no, right? Like, okay, now we have to backtrack and build policies around it, you know, put labels on things, do not mix, blah, blah, blah. And that takes time, right? And so, so companies who think that they can 
harness this lightning in the bottle and control it and have all this governance over it really don't understand people, yeah. right? And so when you talk about not having plans in place for dealing with the governance of this, it's not surprising because our own government, you know, doesn't really understand the difference between what's WhatsApp and WeChat. And, you know, it's really hard for people to really understand the pace of these changing technologies. And so for me, what I talk to companies about when I when I do talk about things like generative AI or, or new technologies or future technologies within enterprise, which is where I spent most of my career, like really start with people. Right. <laughs> start with your organizational culture. If you show me your organizational culture, I'll show you your systems architecture. I'll show you your IT, um, uh, your approach to IT and, and digital um, technology and advanced technology because it is a reflection of who we are. And so if you have a, a company that that doesn't look at new technology as a bad thing, like innovation as a bad thing, then you have guardrails on how you want to experiment and innovate. You either put them in a playground somewhere that's way away from your, your you know, the codex, right? right. Like way away from your, your DNA, right, code that they can play and do third-party applications and stuff like that, but have that wall around them so they're not seeping into the mothership, right? And, um, or, you, or you don't have a venue for that and people are doing it anyway. And that's what, you know, kind of like you just introduced, Jeff. Yeah, I'm so and glad you mentioned the... Um, oh, sorry, Walt. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm so glad that you, you mentioned the, like, the kind of risk component of it the the risk you know taking component of it because i feel like there's almost two schools of thought going on right you got the open ai put it out there um iterate uh start playing with it early before it could do real damage and and then and then let you know let people start thinking about how to regulate it things like that by getting your hands on it and then we have this other side, which is stop, freeze, stop all of this, don't use it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and you're like, well, how are we going to get our head around this if if we're not if if we don't have our hands in it? Like, is that possible? Like, right. do we step back and not touch it? And is that going to like is time what it takes to get our head around this, or is it actually using it and getting your hands on it what it takes? And, and I always think about that also for small and large companies going, okay, so we all know small companies are just going to use it. They're, they're, they're not worried about federating it and, oh, you know, what if this, they're just going to, if they see a way to get an edge, they're going to take it. That's it, right? They're, you know, yeah. coffee shop, uh, whatever. They're just going to, they're just looking for ways to make their lives easier um, and they're going to use it. Large companies... Or schools like holding back and saying, hey, you can't use it. You know, I, I've seen a lot of this lately, like just saying we're not allowing our employees to use it or our students to use it. Right. We're just we're just saying no right here. Um, and is this is where you kind of go is is standing back and watching at this moment. A smart decision for a business or is it their death? Yeah, you know, okay, so um, I, I'm not going to talk about 
companies or name companies <laughs> as much as possible. I think, again, yeah, there are these camps, right? There, you know, I used to work at IDEO and I used to call it like the monetary school for adults, right? <laughs> Will, and innovation. Yeah, it's like, hey, I want to build a total replica of a Ford Bronco out of whipped cream because I think are like, wait, what do you need for that? Right? Like it was like this, this total like place where innovation was allowed to thrive because, um, there was no like fear of failure. Right. But it was also like no fear of like corrupting systems either. Right. right. Because, we were in our own little playground as a consultancy. And so right. we didn't, you know, there was like, hey, you know, PII is nuclear. We'll, we'll use synthetic to do prototyping, all that kind of stuff. So out of that innovation came some rules when things got a little riskier about what we built and, and how we worked with other companies that were on the hook for legal liability and stuff like that. And so... If you have a nature or or a, a, even an inclination for innov innovation, then that automatically follows or it should your guardrails. So think about a mom who has three boys, right? Maybe the first boy, it's like, ah, no, no, he can't go to preschool. He's going to catch something right. or, you know, no, whatever. And then by the third boy, it's like, yeah, go watch the brother, right? It's like, <laughs> you want to go climb a tree? Great. You know, um, yeah, he might break his arm, but it sets and then blah, blah, blah. Like, it's not like you don't care about the kid, but it's like you, you're, 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 you understand that, that there's going to be risks there and you put the protocols in place. Maybe you fence your yard, but you don't fence him in, right? Those kinds of things. And I think if you, the more you innovate, the more you, it, it seems kind of intuitive, but the more you think about um, guardrails and 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 governance and and risks, because you know that when you do innovate, you something will go wrong. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things I talk about when I talk about AI and ethics, is this inability for humans to think of bad things, quote unquote, what could go wrong. And if you decide that a technology is dangerous before you get to play with it, then you don't actually tend to understand its limitations, which you need to understand to really know what could go wrong. Right. And so one of the things I challenge my teams, especially my design teams and my innovation teams when it comes to things like generative AI and, and new technologies is, how might we design to their limitations, not their capabilities? So that means you need to really understand what it's capable of. Right. And what it's not. Right. Right. So if you don't understand what it's not capable of, it's almost impossible to do governance. Because you will make policies based upon assumptions that aren't real. So that there are people who are saying stop generative AI. Well, there's a whole like <laughs> other group of things, but like the 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 usual suspects who are saying that are not saying it because 
of the reason you and I yeah, and right. other like academics and governance people are saying it. They're saying it for a whole new reason. We won't get into that. But for the like, <laughs> you know, the, like the New York University or the LSAT or the M, you know, the MCAT, who like this took kind of like out of turn. Like they didn't even expect a machine to be able to um, not only um, pass their their the the muster of of exams. I mean the turning you know, um, uh, tests is the turning test is, is out of this world, right? Yeah, like it looks, acts, yeah. human. but the limitations of this technology is that it is not, <laughs> it is not, it doesn't understand LSAT problems, right? It recognizes and predicts patterns in questions and answers. You see the difference there? Mm -hmm. And so you really don't understand the limitations, then you get people using it and applying the technology yeah. in the wrong way. Yeah. And that's where the disconnect with risk, government, and innovation comes about. When you start misapplying right. technology to the inch of its limitations. Yeah. Like no generative AI and no AI should make decisions about who lives or dies. Right. Because it right. doesn't make decisions. Yeah. <laughs> right. It doesn't. Right. right. It takes information and that decision is only as good as the information that it takes in. Yeah. And if that information is tainted, what I call traumatized data sets, right? Mm -hmm. Lease records are traumatized data sets mm -hmm. because they're not really ones and zeros. Right. They're kind of like wombs with Jim Crow in there, right? <laughs> like, see? And so when you know that that's his limitation, right? Yeah, that yeah. garbage in, garbage out, then you can apply the technology in the right way rather than misapplying it because you think it can do what you assume right. it's doing. Yeah, one analogy I kind of give is if if... If ChatGPT takes a test, it's the same same idea as a student who got uh, the got a copy of the answers to the test before and memorized it, but absolutely has no idea about the material, but can get a hundred percent on the test. You know, if you start asking them about their understanding of it, it will all break down. But yet they will score top in the class because they just memorized the answers. <clears throat> Yeah, and you know there are some people who will challenge that uh, challenge me on that. They're like, "No, it's taking an ambient, it's learning as it going." And I'm like, "Okay, right, or okay, I only design the tools that people build these large models with. So what do I know?" Right. But I I do feel like we need to focus on limitations a lot more yeah. of this technology. What this technology is really good at, and what it is not. Yeah. Because if you don't kind of talk about those things, um, then you get this media hype machine of people yeah. who actually don't use these products, don't create these products, and are telling you how it's gonna change your life. Yeah. And some of the things, I mean, my manager the other day, he was just saying, some of the things these people are saying on LinkedIn that they're doing with the, with these, with ChatGPT is not true. And I'm like, yeah, that 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 tracks, yeah. right? Because they're, they're just picking up things from the universe and assuming and putting things together and then coming out with these like top 10 things you can do with chat GPT. Yeah. It's funny. If you're not actually doable, 
how do you know that all of that is true? Yeah, it's funny. I've been um, lately, just to your point, like, you know, using it. Uh, and a couple times I, I used it and didn't, and didn't say I used it. I wasn't hiding it or anything. It just, just happened that way. Um, and had a couple people say it, this sounds like chat GPT wrote it. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of interesting that, cause we're already starting to get to that point where we're already starting, I know right? it's voice, right? They could tell it wasn't my voice. And sometimes as a writer, you were, you know, that's your thing your voice is in there. Like you can hear that person saying those words when you, you read their text. I, you and I can write this. I was a writer for 22 years and I was famous for saying, oh, no, no story has ever been done until I've done it, right? Because I know that even if you, not a hubris thing, it's more like, even if I wrote the greatest story ever told over the Bible, it would have a whole sassiness to it that original writers did not have right, right? well because it's me because mm -hmm. my personality that's the way we communicate language right which is why it's been so hard for machines to crack the first code of it is because we pour a lot of things into who we are and and our language i was talking to um a colleague of mine uh danny from uh ido and danny and i i i uh, he built like IDEO's first chat bot back in 2018 or so to assign parking spaces. It was called, it's called Logbot. Um, and he's been doing, writing some series. Check him out. It's really great. He's been writing series about using generative AI and adding it to Logbot. But he, we were talking about this idea of adding personality to large language models, whether we should, whether we shouldn't. There's dangers in that. Because again, I was talking about the limitations of it. One of the limitations of us as humans is our need to anthropomorphize things. I our need that. to project who we are on the things that we inter interact with. So our bike becomes Sheila That's or our car becomes Stan, right? Like it doesn't matter if it's a rock or a generative AI, we still project our personality on it. And so he was saying how he was building Lotbot and he was going to play around with, with the open you know chat gpt and he he said let's make it grumpy right he wants to make it grumpy yeah now one word grumpy right and that became the personality of, of the bot so so people you know want a parking space and they would be all sunny or whatever and it's like oh so you're happy now you know it comes <laughs> a response right and there's this personality that's coming up but just think about what's packed into that word grumpy and one of the things he was saying was that it's skewed older like uh, asked it about like things like it's fire or whatever like it's like what's that i you know <laughs> like it's went older he didn't tell him be my grandpa but that's kind of where it went what the bot uh, to do it's stereotype so yeah think miraculous yeah it's a stereotype right and soon enough it became racist mm. no offense old grandpas right but like somebody spanish and it was like oh so you're speaking spanish now you need to speak english whoa uh, right yeah 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 Did that right yeah right yeah so again these machines models are exceedingly great at picking up patterns even patterns 
we don't explicitly say yeah. are there. Yeah. Yeah, alignment's going to be tough. It just shows right there. Uh, you know, grumpy seems like something that should be a reasonable thing to allow it to be. I knock you. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, as they're trying to create alignment in these models, how do you how do you allow it to be grumpy but not not go to grumpy old man? Um, and well, grumpy man from the fifties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> the way you're supposed to be right right right. but now we talk about this like large language models great they crack the code but like it's a zeitgeist right like like look at friends rewatch friends like i'm i'm a generation xer so i'm rewatching some things with my generation z folks and they're like that is not okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) right like this is not okay anymore. And so the lexicon evolves, right? Yep. And so what was okay yesterday is not okay today. And that shows up. I have this thing in my presentation that says, everything we do and everything we are ends up in code. Yeah. Which seems so weird, but it is true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There is no unbiased math anymore, right? This idea that we have created this intellectual ones and zero utopia without the problem of society and and you know um, inequity and all this kind of stuff—that's just BS crap. Right. And we again limitations. Yeah. One of the limitations of our technology is that we create it. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting how uh, yeah ChatGPT. Is is almost like a mirror of kind of our broken society. Yeah. So it's a yeah, powerful I think, tool, but I think it's interesting too because it's a word predictor. We all know that, right? It's just that you know, it's just oh, and these it, words can usually word, come after these words or between these words, right? Mm. But it, yeah, but it's also a personality adapter, right? Like you're seeing more prompts like. You are now an expert in physics. Yes. Show me yep. how to use quantum theory to prove that my wife is wrong. Whatever. I'm just right. that up. <laughs> yeah. Like you are now a marriage counselor, right? Right. Show me how I may make up for missing Valentine yep. at my wife's birthday. Yep. It's not only predicting words, right? It's 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 modeling patterns of who. Right. Yeah. That's where I was kind of going. Is like it predicts words, but behind words we have ideas, and it doesn't it doesn't have ideas, but it can't help but communicate ideas because that's what we use words for, and so yes. in essence, it's an idea predictor, right? Um, but not on purpose. It's it's a word predictor that happens in a way. To have ideas behind it, this and and as a writer, you were an idea maker that happened to look for the words to express the idea. It's it's like backwards, right? You weren't writing yeah, yeah, the yeah. words and then happening to have ideas behind those words. You ha- had the idea and then you were looking for the words to properly express it. It's this sort of reverse order, right? It's like deconstruct construct right right so when i'm sitting down as a as a human writer and i want to write a star 
or you know, like a sci-fi novel about a group of strangers who went to school together and then ended up in space. <laughs> um, right, torture. Um, I have all these ideas about familiar relationships and communication and diversity and how do you deal with like authority versus, you know, I'm a rogue agent, you know, all those things. And it's really about people. It's not about space, but it's just set in space. And so I'm constructing words to set that storyline. But when I go to ChatGPT or Bard or any other of these, these, these large language models, I'm asking it to deconstruct first sci-fi or space or, you know, story about relationships in space. And then it constructs it from what it knows, um, from the patterns that that it it learns and and then it gives you an outcome right and so in constructing it from all of those patterns um it's 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 taking on that 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 bundle of ideas which includes personas right it's like words that happen to have ideas versus ideas that happen to have words <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> And I think it's a real good distinction here between the ability to construct that and the ability to, to deconstruct that to create something right. from that. Right. Right. Uh, because to me, and again, this will be probably settled in the Supreme Court, right? Like, is a it we say it's generative AI, right? Right. Is it really able to create yeah. without us? Yeah. It's that idea like sometimes more often lately than, than it used to happen, I will say something that I didn't mean. In other words, it will be interpreted in a different way than I meant it. I miscommunicated the idea. I used certain words and then said, oh, that's not what I meant to say. In other words, that's not what I meant to think. Or I, that's not what I meant to tell you I was thinking. Whereas it never makes a mistake on what it's saying, not meaning what it's, what it's thinking, because it doesn't think. It always means what it says, because it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. I think, yeah. And, you know, it's, it, it is like this whole effect of computing and like, there's gonna, there's def, there's always been this movement about sentient and machines and and one of the things that I always try to tell people, or at least when we get into this debate, because it is getting increasingly hard to convince people that these things are not sentient, um, because of how well they've taken off with our language. Like once the decoder ring, right, transformer plus CPUs plus. Uh -huh the ability to translate languages, any language code, as well as Japanese, into a predictor sequence power, right? Like, boom, now we're in a whole new world. But like, sentient has always been defined by feeling, not by intellect. So I'm always confused when people run around talking about computers are sentient, when I'm like, do they love 
<laughs> right. Just because they say they'll do it. Right? Like, I mean, that's what sentient means. It's not about how smart it is. Right. It's ideas first. It's about, yeah. Right. How it feels. Yeah. Well, it's so, powerful, too, how uh, even like like I, I know how this stuff is working, but we have like an internal prototype that lets you have a, a conversation with Einstein or, or any historical figure. And I started having a conversation with Einstein a while ago, and then I started asking Einstein philosophical questions. And it only took like four or five turns to where I was routinely forgetting that I was talking with a machine, even though I knew explicitly that I was. Um, and that was fascinating to me because I think ChatGPT has revealed like how much language and the way we communicate affects our perception of things and how deep, how deep it seems to run kind of to the core of, of how our minds work. It's very powerful in that way. Yeah, yeah it is. And it's very kind of like, it will make you think it must be Cynthia. Mm-hmm. That it um, fools your senses. Uh, or it could. It could. It yeah. could. Like, um, and one of the things that I challenge the whole industry on is our intent for design for these. So there's a couple of camps, right? There's like, we, you can't, we want to stay away from designing personalities in, into these things because we don't want to, um, you know, confuse the waters even more about sentiency. We don't want to inject bias, racism, like all those things. Um, so we're just going to let what happens happens. But that's kind of not true, right? The minute you start prompt engineering these models, you're injecting yourself into their outcomes. So it's either white guy from Stanford, <laughs> you know, or MIT or Harvard or um, a combination of people, right? Poet, physicist, whatever. But like we are stamped into there. So one of the things that we've been looking, thinking about in the design community is like, how do you intentionally design how these machines who use large foundational models respond and engage with humans. And one of the things I've always advocate advocated for when I was when I've been speaking about this revolution is call it a human machine relationship. And it's okay if the machine says, I don't know, or could you help me to create that relationship of of equal agency. Um or even not even subordinate relationship, but more like I'm not all knowing, I'm not all infinite, I'm not authoritative. Like it's very important for our 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 psyche as humans when we engage with machines, because if we don't, we have biases like automation bias, automation abuse, where we kind of like check out our brains and kind of give it over to machines. And that's a real danger. Um and so I'm always like advocating for intentionally and being mindful about how we design the engagement protocols we have with machines. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that actually. Um, I was thinking about, uh, it, I, I feel like we always have these like examples, um, these sort of small examples of the future in our daily lives, but we just kind of miss it because it's like this little sliver of the future that we 
we don't really stop and notice and realize like, all we're talking about is just mapping that across many things. And to me, one of those is the GPS. You know, we get in our car, very conversational. It, it's very AI, right? It, 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 it's giving us directions. It's recalculating, which is the most important thing when we decide we're going to take over and make a left because we think we're smarter and we're going to, we know the shortcut and then it recalculates and helps us get back on track or we miss our turn and all of that stuff. But the most interesting yeah, yeah. thing is halfway through my trip, if the GPS battery dies, which doesn't happen anymore, but let's say it does, um, I'm lost because I didn't pay attention to how I got there. I had, I didn't plan my trip. And I'm like, if my whole life now is a GPS, like <laughs> the diet I'm on, the language I'm learning, like if, if AI is just literally like a GPS for life now, and all of a sudden my battery dies, am I just lost in life? Yeah. <laughs> the time with my students like well i have this idea you know we're in chicago i'm like here's an address go find it can't use your gps right right chicago, i was i grew up my parents worked for the trans transit authority so the the city bus system and train system so i was taking the train at like age eight right so i had to read a map like a real one no i grew up in the 80s so we didn't have cell phones so i had to read a map i had to navigate and, you know, the first thing I learned is like everything, the lake is east and everything else is west, right? Then you learn the divide line. State Street is zero, right? And then you go north and south from there, right? And then, or I'm sorry, um, State Street is zero. You go east and west from there. And Madison is zero. You go north and south from there. So like, if you want to go 100 north, you know it's one block north of Madison, right? Um. So I was in San Francisco maybe four or five years ago on a trip and I was looking at it. I was looking at the GPS trying to find this address. But when I looked at it, I'm like, okay, this, what I'm looking for is right around the corner, I think. Right. But I just wanted to check. And so I asked the waiter who was at the hotel restaurant that I was staying in. I'm like, Hey, um, do you walk to work or whatever? Like, do you, how do you get to work? And he was like, oh yeah, I walk to work every day. I'm like, great. Is this coffee shop around the corner? I just want to make sure. He's like, I don't know. I got to go look at my app. I'm like, dude, <laughs> you walk down the street. Every right. Do you not notice there's a coffee shop on the street? Like, it, AI rewires our brain. Right. All tools, right? When I first started as a journalist, when I was in, college in high school I used to longhand write out all my stories I got to college my editor was like you're gonna have to get faster you have to learn how to write your stories on your computer the stories I write on my computer are much different than the stories I write on my longhand why because my longhand takes a lot more labor and so I'm very choosy about the words that I use right because I'm like oh god but on the computer I'm just like oh yep delete oh yep delete whatever and so I started writing on my computer, right? Um, so am I losing skills? Um, because I switched from writing out longhand to computer, probably. Am I gaining efficiency? Am I gaining, you know, uh, now I have AI to autocorrect me, right? <laughs> so whenever the AI autocorrects me, I rewrite the line because I'm like, okay, I can do better than that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's right? go there. Let's now, 
Right. Like my brain is being trained to be better than the AI. Yeah. Because I know the AI is picking the most, you know, um, uh, uh, cliched or or pattern. Right? It's pattern. It's predicting right. pattern. So it's picking the most popular way. So I went to write this retreat. So I'm writing a poem a day. And so whenever the autocorrect comes out, I'm like, how do you rewrite that? of what you're saying in a more eloquent way. Right. So it's upping my game, right? Where for some people it's like, great, let me just take that. <laughs> let me just take that bill and I'm moving on. Yep. So it does rewire our brains, and, but it can rewire our brains either. I mean, again, it's us. It's how you use it. It can, it can make you smarter where you're like, I don't want to be basic. Right. In my writing, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to be the lowest common denominator for writing. Or you could be like, yep, great. This is fast. I'm, you know, I, I find I use Bard a lot for all of the administrative crap I have to do as a manager. <laughs> Please, you, you are HR web. How do I write you know, a skills assessment yeah. plan? Whatever. You know, like, I don't want to think about that. Like, that's not my deal. But like, if I can go from all these experts who think about that, let me use Art yeah. to do it. Let's go there. Let's the so I I, I have this theory that uh, you know to to counter the whole like word Nazi or grammar Nazis out there, right? To say that you know um, we all learn this in school from our English teachers. That's the wrong. You, you misspelled this word. Blah blah blah. So you got these people that have these ideas that they want to share, but they're too afraid of the word Nazis or the grammar Nazis, so they don't share them in the way that they feel comfortable. So you have this whole segment of society that feels like my ideas uh, matter, but but I'm afraid to share them publicly because I feel like I'm going to be criticized for, you know, the, the polished, right? Um, and and now, theoretically, now they don't have to worry about that anymore, right? Now, now they can share their ideas and they don't have to worry about spelling, grammar, or misuse. And, and so they could be heard and and I think there's a bunch of folks out there that say, great, like the people who have been silenced now get to be heard. We can almost think of rap music as like a form of like, I, I can be heard, right? And and now no one can criticize my grammar. And it's just a way to fit it in in an okay way, fit in my ideas, because I, I need to have a voice. But then those same people that are spouting like inclusiveness are like, whoa, 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 now that your ideas are out there, I don't really like them, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and it's kind of like, wait a second, where, where, is this good? <laughs> yeah, I mean, think about, wait, think about the printing press, right? Right. Think how much labor it took to produce a communication, not even a book, before the printing press how much money you had to have, the intellect, you had to have the literacy, all of that, right? Boom, the pretty press comes. What happens after that? Like hardcore revolution, right? Like, <laughs> you know, like Luther is like writing stuff, like people are like, you know, they're writing the ideas, right? Like they're, they're taking things that they couldn't communicate beforehand and mass producing them in ways that would have never like Stokey. I I want to, I remember one of the first books I ever read was Stokey Carmichael, right? Like who would have gave him 
you know, a scaled microphone because he was talking some revolutionary stuff. Like, it, again, like, it. I love that you kind of went there because I feel like this goes back to what we said about not being afraid of the technology and trying it out. Because once you try it out, once people who are not like me try it out, we're going to get new things in the world that we're not allowed to be. That's to be right. <laughs> so that goes back to the wait, stop group, right? Yeah. <laughs> Some of those people are like, yeah, wait, stop. Like, just like you are saying, like, hey, <laughs> oh, for inclusive. You know, except for the way that I do stuff is the way that everybody should do stuff right now. So now, you know, you got people creating, you know, TikTok videos, and then they go from TikTok videos to creating 3D animation with ChatGPT to creating new ways to think about movies and film and, you know, all of that. And then that's that shakes power structures like crazy, right? Yeah. So I that's why I got into this field, to democratize AI. But to democratize it in a way that the agency shifts. Right. And we're still not there yet. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. only four or five companies in the world where you can go to do a chat GPT. Like chat GPT may be the the company, but you but the technology that it sits on does not belong to a whole like it it ain't it's it's not democratized, right? So so we still have to go through power structures to be able to harness and use this technology. Yeah. Like I still am pissed that the internet is not free everywhere yeah. when it right. should be. Right. Right. Yeah. It's interesting though that like as Rob and I were writing our book, it was kind of before the generative AI revolution, I guess. Um, and I think I was kind of picturing that enterprise would or like companies would be the ones to really start leveraging this kind of technology and we'd see growth there. But then ChatGPT comes out, you know, mid-journey, Dolly, and you see, and, and then as we were talking about earlier, only like 12% of enterprises even have a plan for this stuff. But yeah, everyone I know at this point has tried it out, like has some ideas about how they might use it to make their lives easier or create something they thought they couldn't create. So it feels like that is kind of trending in the right direction. But of course, like you said, it's like the underlying stuff is still rooted kind of in the old ways of doing things. Yeah, this yeah, there's a I feedback think... loop here though that's kind of interesting, which is as we retrain in later years, right? Like it's at 2021 chat GPT. So then what does that training set look like at 2025 when it's consuming its own product? When when so many people have now written and posted using chat GPT. Chat. And, yeah. and, and is it that the people that weren't hurt? So in other words, do grumpy old men not care about their grammar? And therefore now they're the ones with the bigger voice, right? Because they don't care about their grammar and, and they, and they just get out there and, and speak their mind and other people that are more silenced don't, but now with GPT, are they less silenced? Does that data feed back into the system and does the system itself unbiased or or is it the other way around is it that grumpy old men now talk more and and there's always going to be bias in the data yeah it's so <laughs> weird because it's like 
it is kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy here, right? Like it's just, it's like we were cycling a lot of stuff. Right. right? And everybody talks about the long tail of the internet, but like most of us don't spend our time over there, right? Like we, we're getting what we're putting in, right? And, and what's being, you know, ranked and prioritized as important. And those indicators about what is important aren't always equitable. Right. And so, you know, I, I'm always I was telling an SVP the other day, I'm like, I'm always about the revolutionary. Right. So I'm always like on the outside looking in, trying to pick at systems and seeing where the gaps and opportunities are for marginalized and, and not um, um, well heard voices to not only be heard, but to have agency in the way that they're listened to. Right. That's it. And that's that's why I exist in this in this whole industry and atmosphere is to demystify the technology so that it could be democratized and also so that people feel like they have agency over how they want to use it for their own causes. Um, but I'm I'm not, you know, uh, naive to see that again it's all about people communities and power structures not about the technology so you know the internet should be free but you know at&t charges me you know ridiculous amounts of money for it because it can right you know actually i'm not with at&t anymore but like because they put you know telephone lines in the ground like and they were using an old technology and now they switch it to a new technology. They're like, well, we can charge a bunch of money. Yeah. Um, but so you're like, well, that's not cool. And that has nothing to do with technology. Right. And so there are always going to be these people who are like hacking into the system. Right. And I think that's a good thing because it stops the zeitgeist being so well, it stops the singularity. Right. To me, that's what singularity is it becomes this overwhelming kind of like um um when when they when we say kind of um you know overwhelmingly one thing rather than reflecting the diversity of who we are as cultures yeah I, i i agree with you i think one alternative view of singularity isn't that there's a machine that that takes over the world and gets you know rid of human beings um and and has this sense of 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 oneness and itself and pre- self-preservation i think that's like le- less likely but it actually exists in that moment because I, I don't know where i am when i'm in the gps and i'm halfway to where i'm supposed to go and I don't know how I got there, and I don't know where I'm going. I don't know in my brain where I am at that moment. I'm kind of nowhere because I have no idea how I got there. Well, you need to put it away your GPS to get <laughs> I do, I do. But what happens when that's my whole life? <laughs> when I don't know, okay, that's what... like, have I just, I've given over to the machine, not not in the sense that the machine is has these intentions, but in the sense that I've just given up. You know. Making decisions. Your, yeah, yeah. It's your human nature. It's it's a bias we have, right? It's called automation bias, where we just kind of check out. Laziness, yeah. Work. 
it's not laziness. Well, it's brain, like yeah, yeah. On your brain. And if the machine makes this decision easier, why not? Right, right. right. The problem with that is we don't, we don't discriminate on the decision making sometimes. And now that this machine is making decisions about things that we really should be, con you know, consulted on. And so we have to intentionally design those, those moments. So like when I was a researcher working on self-driving cars, you know, we tried out a bunch of things, you know, we did build a car, but not out of whipped cream. We didn't build the car <laughs> to, to try to figure out what was the best way to build that relationship with the driver and the car, right? What is okay for the car to just take over? Right. Hey, I want to change lanes. I want to change lanes. Or what did what did the human and machine need to consult on? Right. Hey, I'm going to change this route. I'm going to change the route. Right. Yeah. Um, because there's an accident you can't see, but I know it's there because I got a signal from the construction worker who who has, uh, you know, generative AI in his car, whatever. So, but that needs to be an exchange, right? You can't, the car just can't go get off the highway and go another route. And then you are going, what the hell? Like, I didn't do that. So, so again, like we, there's okay. Like one of the design principles we had with when you're creating um, with the autonomous vehicles, but I think it's, it stands true. It's like design for the transitions, not the end state, oh. because there will always be the transition of agency between machine and human. And you need to design for that handoff to make it as comfortable as possible and, and, um, intentional. Yeah. That's where the, the, the danger comes in, right? When it's not. Uh, when it needs to be, and we don't really think about it, right? So it's that moment where it says, where it says, I say, you know, which way should I turn? And it says, I don't know. What What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you are curling, right? No, it's more like, hey, do you want to take your usual route today, or would you like to be take the scenic route? Yeah, yeah. Right. So it knows the route that you need to yeah. take, offering you a choice to have agency, even though it doesn't have to. Like no self-driving car that is actually a self-driving car needs a steering wheel. Right. But we were like, well, you take that steering wheel out of there. Yeah. Because we need the steering wheel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We need to be able to say, I can grab this and control right. this environment. Right. Like that's our cognitive, deep human need. So... I always found it funny, like in sci-fi, you know, like in starships and stuff, and they have like the command, whatever. You don't need all that, right? You just talk to it. But we need stuff to touch. Right. And I was I was loving this LinkedIn article that was going around that said that finally cars are putting back buttons, right? <laughs> because, because they have to experiment with like voices and all that. I'm like, people like buttons, yo. <laughs> because we touch things. Yeah. Right? We need to the semblance at least of control otherwise our brain goes wacky yeah are we in control no could i go to sleep not go to sleep what should i be doing yeah should i be looking I don't know. like we don't need that kind of extra cognitive load so just give me a button dude so i i just think that for us in design especially we have to go back to those principles i mean heuristic principles that still 
remain, even though the technology has advanced so far. Yeah. Because we are dealing with humans first. Yes. Not the technology. Yeah. And our job is to make sure that we don't add anxiety, cognitive load, um, risk, harm when we don't need to. Yeah. Well, as an expert in language, I think, uh, you know, I, I wanted to make sure we don't leave this without asking this question. It feels like our language is going to change as we interact with machines. There's going to be these micro UIs. And it's, absolutely. How, how do you think this is going to go, you know? Well, I, I really feel like we need a new lexicon and a new taxonomy to speak about what I was talking about earlier, the engagement with machines. We have to find a way to talk about the hybrid humanity of a machine with its limitations and capabilities in the same. By me calling Bard, it, it doesn't feel right. He doesn't feel right. So is there, how do we, how do we name them? How do we talk to them? How do we talk to each other about them? You know, uh, these are things that I'm thinking about was language wise because language has power, right? Once we name something, it becomes something, right? And, and you know, we have this whole movement of, you know, should Bard and ChatGPT say I and we, right? Should it adopt our human pronouns? Um, which is an interesting debate to have anyway in, in this era. Again, 10 years ago, totally different, right? <laughs> right. Totally different conversation. So these are things that we need to think about when it comes yeah. to language because it's, we're, we're entering a new era where we have multi-agency interaction between human yeah. and machines. Yeah, the more it so uses those, that, the more it... How do we that? Yeah, the more it uses those words, the more it insinuates it has a sense of self. And the more we believe it has a sense of self, the more we believe that it's got self-preservation and that and that, that we're now under threat. Yeah, we are under threat. Yeah. Yes. And, and it's yeah. just because it chose the word we, like, you know, just... And, and why did it choose the word we? Because we use the word we, and it's just copying what? us, right? It just studied the test, the answers to the test, and we use the word we. It's a really good point that it's, 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 I always say that machines getting smarter isn't AI, it's just machines getting smarter, and dumb machines kill people, and smarter machines are hopefully gonna kill less people, and they're already <laughs> killing us, right? <laughs> like, so a skill side that can tell the difference between a finger and a piece of wood is probably a good thing, not a bad thing. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, and it's just a tricky thing. Like, should we program morality into our machines? Or should we just stay away from right, that? Right, right. Yeah. Right? Like, should we let it develop its own? And there was this, like, a piece in Wired where um, they asked, you know, generative AI uh, machine um, to... Um, talk about ethics and create a, you know, be ethical or whatever. And the machine just kind of went through some things and was like, you know what? That's not my place. <laughs> you know, right. I do ethics. Like, it's not my thing. Right. Yeah. Which I think is a great response yeah. for the machine. Yeah. Because ethics is contextual, right? Like, all right. this kind of stuff. Well, like, I'm like, I'm, and again, this is my crazy part here. So, not associated with any place I work. Just so bad. <laughs> But like I believe machines do can do it better. Yeah. They they will they will be able yeah. to say no to some things yeah. that we as humans are not able to do. They will be able to opt out of some things yeah. that we are not to do. And so 
I don't, I'm not in the camp of the stop, the, because I want to see where they go with it. Right. right? But I also, I'm like, I can, I'm from a privileged area to say that because I'm, I'm in the weeds. Right. So if I was on the outside totally, <laughs> like my mom, like, I don't know if she would say that, yeah. right? Like, so I just think like maybe machines can do, can get it better if we take this time to intentionally yeah. design how we want to engage with them. But I like that idea of, of a machine saying, hey, there is no we, I'm a machine. There's just you. Yes. Yeah. I like that. Yes. You know, there's just like, you. Uh, I'm just a machine. This? Yeah. Yeah. Could we do this? You can do yeah. it. <laughs> I'm a just a machine. Like there's I'm no we here. <laughs> right. Shall we diagnose cancer? You can. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just showing you what the patterns yeah. I'm seeing. Yeah. Like that's what we need yeah. to be doing. Yeah. I, I like that. I like that. Every moment where the machine reminds us of its limitation. Yeah. It's every not moment. us. Yeah. Well, it's Conversational AI is really interesting from an experience design position. Uh, perspective because it allows technology to recede into the background um, to whatever degree we decide. I mean, like as Rob was talking about with GPS, like if it goes too far in the background and you lose sight of it, that could be very dangerous. And But if it's too present, then it's kind of a distraction. But it almost feels like there's potentially a sweet spot where it's helping us make decisions and taking care of tedious things. And it could actually lead to an outcome where people feel more present uh, with each other, yeah. ideally, um, which I think could be really powerful. Yeah, it, that that opens up something yeah. probably for another episode. But it's this idea that we keep measuring ourselves on our productivity. Um, yes, and and going like, okay, so so that's a lame way. And 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 when people are on their deathbed, that's not where they go. Like, oh, I wish I was more productive in my life. But that is our identity. Yeah, a, yeah I went to a, a writers retreat. It was wonderful. And I remember asking this young woman, I said, well, what do you do? And, you know, she started to kind of stumble a little bit. And, and, and you know, she had this eloquent answer of, um, I'm a professional life liver or something like that. And I thought, what I really meant was, who are you? Right. Not what do you but produce? I asked, <laughs> right. Like, I asked her, what do you do? Which is something I'm trying not to do. But what I really wanted to know is, who are you? So why do we equate those two, right? And I think if we separate the what we do and who we are, it will help us to preserve humanity in the machine-led world, right? In the automated world. Because if we focus the machines on what we do, um, we will always have that island of humanity to nurture nurture and culture and and cultivate and, and, and dig into. And that keeps us honest with these machines. Um, if we don't do that, man, it's a it's a really depressing thought about those merging, right? Mm. Because the machines are seemingly good at picking up patterns, especially patterns we don't even know that we have. Yes, uh... And so they will seem like they are being, you know, human when they are lacking the thing that isn't a pattern, but it's something that is within all of us. And so I think it's really important for us to, as I tell my students who are who are going into this field and I say, it's important for you to use things like design, research, um, anthropology and, and humanism to find the thing that you shouldn't design 
that right yeah think about values and and culture and community like what makes communities like find the thing that is so human that it should not be redesigned that is probably going to be our 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 number one um you know mission as as designers and researchers using design anthropology in other ways to kind of like bring out the essence of humanity rather than redesigning the world um to to have less of that yeah so just because it's hard to do doesn't mean we need to redesign yeah it kind of gets to this thing like if i showed my kids a machine that would color in their coloring book for them they would not be like right. awesome they would be like i don't get it <laughs> what <are> you, <laughs> this makes no what <laughs> but now you don't like, have to color <laughs> right. Like, what, right it's like what's, the, it's what's like, happening here <laughs> yeah like i'm a swimmer i've been a swimmer all my life i love swimming it gives me agency i love being in the vastness of it like i just love you know, really trying to like talk about GPS. I have to have this like internal GPS to be able to get back home sometimes if I'm in open water like I am when I go to Hawaii. And so it really sharpens my skills about, you know, my environment and, and, and animals and things and all these kinds of things that are not related to machines. And that is very important to me. Now I could, I could put on a watch and which I do, um, and it tells me how fast I'm going. It tells me the depth I'm going. It tells me even kind of like gives me the GPS, my routes, all those kinds of things. And that's like a safety guard too. But also I'm like, let me just swim without that and see if I end up in the same place, right? Like, mm-hmm. can I can I plant those that can I GPS my way, you know, back home? Right. Um, because one day that watch is going to fall off <laughs> yeah. or yep. whatever, right? Can I find my way home? And I think these are good things for us to practice, to detox, to put away the phone, to get in your mm-hmm. car and drive and see if you can find your way home, like those kinds of things, because we need to exercise that part of our brains. Absolutely. And if we did have a robot to color in the lines yeah. we would be robbed of the relaxation of coloring right like, like it because that's it, the whole point right like right. not to get <laughs> not to get it done. The- look how many coloring books i colored in today <laughs> <laughs> again uh, application of use not good not bad technology application of use how can we use it for the right things and and preserve humanity and that to me is it's going to be a dance of design and research yeah. and 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 engineering right like we're going to have to make that dance it's not going to be as as kind of like coloring book obvious right because- I, I i just feel like it's gonna i mean i'm an optimist but i feel like its job is to serve our creativity to make room for us to be more creative as human beings and and it doesn't make a lot of sense that we're going to be designing machines that color in our coloring books for us. It just, it, it doesn't seem like a natural way we're gonna go. Oh my God, I there's probably a startup right now doing that. <laughs> the problem is, I just don't know if they're gonna make it. <laughs> so. 
Awesome. All right, guys. I think yeah. I have to go, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Obeda. Yeah, this is great. I really um, appreciate it. All right. Thanks again for joining us on Invisible Machines. Be sure to subscribe to UX Magazine wherever you get your podcasts to check out new episodes. You can also watch this podcast on the Invisible Machines YouTube channel. Thank you to the team at UX Magazine and the marketing crew at OneReach.ai for making this podcast possible. Special thanks, as always, to our video editor, Michael Litvinov. We look forward to connecting with you again next week on Invisible Machines. <laughs>